Okay, John 15, let's get to work, shall we? John 15, verses uh, 12 and following uh, says this. Um, this is kind of the, where we're going to be for the next. I've never taught a 12-minute sermon before. It's going to be awesome. Y'all are like, hey, I want more. Not that it's going to be awesome. I'm saying the speed of which. Y'all are going to be like, I think you should speak about 12 minutes every week. All right, 12 and following. Uh, My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I've called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Jumping on down to 17, these things I command to you so that you will love one another. The very essence of Christianity is that we are getting our sustenance and we're going to get our nourishment, nourishment from one source and one source only. That's, his name is Jesus. That's what we've been talking about for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Our nourishment and our sustenance comes from Jesus. We see this in, chap, in, this, in 12 and 13 and 14, 15 and 17. It hasn't changed at all. We get this idea that Jesus is attached to the Heavenly Father. And as he, he is attached... We are to attach ourselves to Jesus. And so the same relationship, and this is mind-boggling to us, the same relationship that is between the Father and the Son is now equal to the relationship that the disciples have with their Savior. Over and over and over, we are seeing in this passage that this pairing happens. As the Father and the Son enjoy this, so we, as his disciple, get to enjoy him. And so as The son has been loved by the father. He then shares his love to his disciples. And there's this trickle-down effect. So Jesus' love now becomes, or his joy becomes your joy. In the same way that you abide, not in just any kinds of words, just not random words, but you attach yourselves to the words of Jesus. We see this again with friendship here in this passage, that this trickle-down effect is the only way that we understand that just one of the greatest relationships and the, one of the greatest words is this, this idea of friendship is because what Jesus has always been in relationship with his Father, and it's amazing. And so we're talking about friendship this morning um, because we're, we want what Jesus wants, or we want to be as Jesus. And we, we've talked about this idea of fruit and, it, and what fruit actually is, is actually an extension of who, you know, who we are. That we are as our being, but then there's an extension of who we are, and that becomes our fruit. In our passage, we see Jesus' fruit, and we start circling things like, oh, those are my words. Let your, my words abide in you. And so Jesus' words are an extension of who he is. His very existence, he now then becomes a part, who he is, actually comes apart with syllables and words and phrases and paragraphs and chapters. And that's an extension, that's a part of his fruit. In the same way, his love is an extension of him. And so his love is a part of his fruit. His joy is an extension of who he is, that's his fruit. And now he is extending friendship to others. That is a part of this, this, this vine and the branch mentality is that it's going to produce something. And friendship and joy and love and words, this is what is extending from Jesus. And he's looking to us and he's saying, 
is, this, is there something similar happening in your life? If you are so attached to Jesus's words, are his words flowing from you? Are you attached to his love so that Jesus's type of love is flowing from you? And so that's the same with, with friendship. And friendship's in a bad, in, in a, in a bad state uh, these days. And uh, in a study uh, from, uh, from an institute, I, they, they say that, uh, that we're in bad shape when it comes to friendship. Edge Research for the State of uh, Friendship in America says that 70% of us all want deeper relationships. That we want deeper relationships. That's what we want. Um, in these studies, they kind of sum it all down. It says that there is a crisis of confidence. And it's interesting because we all look to ourselves and we think that we're decent sized, we're decent friends, but we then look at the people, the, the peer group around us, and we, we, we're, there's, there's a crisis of confidence. You see, all we're asking for, this is the study, all we're asking for is a little bit of loyalty, to have a little bit of fun, for you to like that other person, right, and for you to spend time with. Those are kind of the four things that all of us need with, with friendships. And it sounds like everybody in this room, because all of us are a little bit of fun and a little bit likable, and we're, we've got a little bit of time to give away. And so why are we struggling so much with friendship? Well, our friendships um, have been redefined for us. With social media, you know, friendship is, is, is actually being stretched and it's, it's, it's out of bounds almost because of what we actually understand what, what friendship is. What social media has done to us with this, especially with this idea of friends, is that it's complicated the relationship and it's actually made it a little bit more superficial or it's given us almost a false relationship or a false friendship. And so what do we do? Well, Jesus comes in this passage and he's combating all of those things that we're finding. And he's really fighting for us. And he says this, for you to be a good friend, you must first have to be befriended. All right. There's a lot of friends in there, but for you to be a good friend, you must first need to be, be befriended. And that's what Jesus is promising to us this morning. He says, I am a good friend. You can not just be friends with the people next to you, but you can be friends with the creator of the universe. And what Jesus is saying in this passage, he's looking at his disciples. He's about to be crucified. He's about to distance himself. And he says, what you have experienced and what you have enjoyed and the words and the memories and all of those things, the experiences that you have experienced, remember that is at its essence is me bringing you close to me. That's what friendship actually is. He says, I have given my life so that you can be friends. I am going to do something, and I have been doing something ever since the incarnation. I've been giving or expending my life so that I can say that you can call me friends. And what Jesus says in our small little passage this morning is that he is going to transform our status, and he's going to make us, he's going to turn us from servants and he's going to bring us into this thing called friendship. He's allowed us to be friends, friends, not just servants. Remember, friendship is Jesus's idea, right? This is his idea. He came, Emmanuel, God with us. He left heaven. He comes to earth. Friendship. He allows himself to be a part of who we are. He rubs shoulders with us. He gets the dirt on us, this, on, on himself. This is what friendship is about. He then spends all of his time and energy and effort 
page and page and page and page of the Gospels. And we get in, and just, uh, just enamored with the miracles and the teachings and those types of things. We love to watch Jesus travel on the dirt, the dusty road and those kinds of things. But page after page after page, there is one consistent thing that happens. It's this little word called followers or disciples. They're always around. Jesus came for a little pocket of believers, these, these 12 disciples. And inside 12, he had three. And inside three, he had one. Friendship was a big deal to Jesus. He loved to, I'm, this is not true, but I mean, he just loved to, I don't know, just, just chop wood with them. He loved to get up in the mornings and have a cup of coffee with them. This is not in the scriptures, by the way. This is just in my mind. It's like, he's just, just normal, everyday kind of things. And we can conjecture just a little bit because we do see him eating and we see him drinking. We see him whispering kind of soft kind of messages to people, but then he's coming with strong rebukes at another. Over and over and over, page after page, we see that Jesus elevates friendship to a very, very high. And the reason that he does this with 12 and three and one is because what he has been experiencing for all eternity Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been inside relationship. It has always been there. There's a tight bond. In fact, when we look at the creation account and we look at Genesis and we look at Adam and we see that all of this is beautiful and good and everything's created, and yet there's one word of just displeasure in the Genesis account. And what is that word? The word is lonely. Adam, like a paradise and all of this beautiful things and a relationship with God, and it still is described as lonely. And so friendship has to be a part of at least the Christian narrative. But the part that we need to understand is that he has befriended us. He has brought us into a relationship with him. Jesus is a good friend, and we need that to be stable. We need that to be strong because we're awful. We're terrible friends. Page after page of the Gospels, we see Jesus as loyalty and him giving his time and effort and energy, but we then turn the pages and we also see Judas betraying and Peter denying and Thomas doubting. And as soon as like the, just, the, the, just this, this, these hours are about to happen and the crucifixion is about to happen, his closest friends are scattered. They're gone. You see, he's the faithful one and we are the ones that need to understand being befriended much more than we need to understand being a friend because that's the gospel moment for you and I is that when we were faithless, when we were found wanting, when we were sinful, when we were terrible friends, when we doubt and when we you know, deny and when we do all of these things, Jesus is the faithful one. And so he is giving us a new status. I have made you friends. It's not on your merit or what you're able to do it's because of what I have done for us. He, our new status is his friendship with the creator of the universe. And over and over and over in our lives, when we scatter or when we deny or when we doubt, Jesus says, but I have done my part and that's what you need to concentrate on. Jesus has made us friends. And so there's a couple of benefits real quick, real quick, whoo, a minute apiece. All right, um, benefit number one, is that we are in a relationship or we have a brand new relationship with the Father. And he says this, um, 
No longer uh, do I call you servants. This is verse 15. No longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know, that's the phrase, does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for, um, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. So this, there's this understanding with friendship. We now know things. We have an insider's perspective. We have the knowledge of the Father. Everything that I've, I mean, think about this transfer. Everything that I've known of the Father, I've made known to you. That's incredible. That you are no longer servants in which I tell you what to do, but I've made you friends. And so literally the status has changed from the top down to some kind of leveling. I've made you friends. Grasp that concept that Jesus has done the hard work of leveling the playing field when it was not deserved of you. He has peeled back a veil, literally, to let you know of the Father's doing. The creation is screaming his name inside of our conscience. It's, it's, it's saying, you belong to God. He is revealed in our scriptures over and over who he is. But there's no better example or picture than Jesus himself. He is the very form of God and we get to know him. He has changed our status. We are no longer servants, but we're friends. Remember the, the, the scene in, in uh, The Wizard of Oz where there's a trembling you know, father behind the screen and he did not want to be found out. He wanted to be stronger. He wanted to portray himself as, as more powerful than that. There is another veil, all right? There's another like picture of the Wizard of Oz inside the scripture. There is a veil, and it comes at Jesus' crucifixion. There is a veil that, is, that, is, that, that comes. It's just like this, that separates the temple to the Holy of Holies. And as soon as Jesus dies, there's a great earthquake and there's darkness, but there's something significant. There's a veil, that separates the two. And they're the holy of holies. This is what's representative for, you know, for years and years, that that's God's presence. That veil has been ripped, ripped from top to bottom. Therefore saying the holy of holies, the father is now being known to everyone. This is what Jesus does. He lets us in on the father's doing. Servants have a place of separation. Servants are ignorant of the motivations of the master. Servants are on a need-to-know basis. Servants are consumed with tasks. A servant is absent from a relationship. A servant is absent from the reasoning or the knowledge of the, ma- uh, of the master's rationale. And Jesus says with great audacity, All that I have known from the Father, I now make known to you. I've come to lay down my life, to extend my life for you. For us to understand biblical friendship on a human level, we must first have to understand that we have been befriended by the creator of the universe. And being creator and coming to earth to descend on earth to live was not enough. To make us friends, he had to extend his life, to truly, sorry, expend his life for us. He literally had to give his, lay down his life for us. 
for you to understand relationships amongst one another, for you to actually be a good friend, especially a friend that is here found here in this passage. You're going to have to give up your life. Biblical friendship is not getting. Biblical friendship is giving over and literally expending your life for the other's sake. And that's the gospel equation over and over and over. The last will become first. Those who, those who serve will actually be served. You are expending your life for the other person. We talk to a lot of married couples, whether it's premarital or in marriage or you know, past relationships, those types of things. And every time that a couple, every time that Nicole, now let's just make it personal, every time Nicole and I are sitting across a kitchen table and we're staring at the other person and says, it is your job to give me life. And that's the reason I'm upset with you. That's your job. You give me life. The entire universe breaks down because you're expecting that person to fill you up. The gospel equation is no, 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 no. Because Jesus has expended his life, has given his life. It is now your job to empty your life onto another person for you literally to die in order to have someone else spring forth and flourish and to understand grace and to understand joy and to understand happiness. That's on you to befriend the other person. And the reason you're able to do that is because you've been befriended by the creator of the universe. It's truly a remarkable, remarkable passage that he has made us friends. 1 John 3.16 We know John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16, maybe not as much. This is how you know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And there's a pause. And it says, "So so that we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. As we have been laid down for, so then therefore we naturally lay down our lives for others. And that's why the homework is the way it is this morning. We were really tempted to have you go and be a good friend. Like, hey, y'all need to do better at friendships, those types of things. But instead, we want to force you back into the gospel, back into the relationship with Jesus, and to understand the difference between just a, a healthy and a wonderful relationship called friendship and also just uh, the, the, the relationship or the understanding of a servant-master relationship. So the exercise is simple this week. It's for you to understand or to get a framework for a healthy friend-to-friend relationship and all the benefits that are there and all the things that go on inside that relationship. And then to describe a life of the servant-master relationship. And then for you to stare and continue to stare at that friendship piece and say, this is what God has given me. And then you stare at the servant piece and says, he's taken all that away. Jesus Christ, the God-man, came to earth for us to give of his life for us. And when we come to the table and we come and we remember his body given for us, we understand the, 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 the wine or the, the, bloody, the blood poured out for us we understand that he is bringing us into a relationship. It's not a static relationship, it is dynamic, and it is just continuing to grow and grow and grow. We come to the table. If you're a believer in Jesus, you come to the table and he calls you friend. Let us worship that. 
Let us worship underneath this idea that he has changed our status forever. He's made us friend. He's brought us close. He's just, he's continued to give his life and his word and his joy. He's continued to give it for us. So when we get out of those chairs and we walk toward these stations, we're walking towards someone who has done that with great joy and great contentment, knowing that the relationship was only possible by him holding up his end of the bargain, not him waiting on us to hold up our end of the bargain. That's the scandal of grace. We are Judas and we are Thomas, and we are Peter. Over and over and over, these are our definitions, and Jesus continues to love us despite all of that. There's a revelation of who Jesus is, and so we respond, and we respond in a couple of ways. We respond by getting up and having faith in Jesus, saying, this is my identity. You have done great things for me over and over, and you walk toward that with great greatness. And you go and you take that. But there's another way to respond is because of Jesus and him giving his life for us, we therefore give and we expend our lives to others. And you can do that in all kinds of ways. You can trust that Jesus has extended his life and so you want to give your life to him. You can look at that, that homework and you say, okay, I'm going to understand that my life is to give away truly present with all time and energy. And then just very practically, you know, to give back financially to, you know, to, this, uh, to the church is an amazing moment where you are in response of what Jesus has done. You respond appropriately. And so we want all that to happen in this moment. And I know that it feels rushed and it probably is. But we want that to truly be the essence is that the revelation of what Jesus has done for it just to naturally have like a response of gratitude toward us. And so in graphic ways, we come to the table And we see that Jesus' body that was whole and pure and good and beautiful. He took a piece of bread on the night that he was betrayed and he he took it. It was a piece of unleavened bread, so this is a little different. But he takes it and, and he breaks it in front of them. And he says, this is my body given for you. And in a dramatic way, he says, the thing that was once solid, the thing that was once secure must be given over to you and for you. The, th- the item that was meant for sustenance is actually going to d- deteriorate for your sake. And then he takes a chalice of wine and he passes it among his friends. We've got grape juice here. He says, this is the blood of the new co- covenant poured out for you. And so the giving of his body and the pouring of his blood, he's setting forth for, I mean, forever, these pictures that life is only given Life is only given away when life is first like sacrificed or given up. And this is why we worship Jesus is because he has given away his life. He's given it up to give life away to us. So let us stand and let us partake of, of, these, of uh, these elements. We've got men in, in all of the corners of the room. I'm actually gonna be up front uh, serving these. The stations are gluten-free. This bread is not. So if you have dietary restrictions, do that. But know that this table is a holy and a sacred place. It's for people and it's for hearts that love Jesus more than anything else in this world. And so if you want to come and with great faith to say, I have been made a friend of Jesus, come and partake freely. And we do this now. So you're free to consume.